Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. It is well with my soul, and it's well with your soul today, too, in the midst of turmoil. It is well. Because of what Jesus did, it's well in all of our lives today, and we have the hope of, of Christ. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did, it's well with us today, guys. On behalf of Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne, hello to all of you. Thanks for being with us again. I wanted to say thanks for joining us. And uh, also, thank you, Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne, for the opportunity to share the word today. The road to Calvary. Now, Pastor Hector and I are doing a three-part series that Pastor Hector did a great job last week of setting everything up, and I'm going to do this week and plan to do next week also as we talk about the road to Calvary. Pastor Hector last week talked about the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And man, did a great job of setting me up. Just did a phenomenal job of getting everything rolling and setting me up to what I want to talk about today, which mainly is the cross of Jesus Christ. So, uh, but he talked about how Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and the triumphant injury, in, entry rather, of Jesus into the city. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Man, what a great proclamation that is. Now, before we get to the cross, though, there were a few other things that took place that I want to just briefly mention. Don't have a lot of time to get into them, so forgive me for that. But we want to talk about some things that set up Jesus going to the cross and giving his life so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. First of all, after the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, there was the denial of Peter uh, toward Jesus. And then obviously there was the Last Supper where uh, Jesus, Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And then there was those uh, agonizing hours of Jesus in Gethsemane where he prayed and literally prayed, guys, as you know, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless, how many of you are thankful for a nevertheless today? Come on, somebody. Thankful for a nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so from that point on, what we find is Jesus uh, coming out of the Garden of Gethsemane because he was arrested there and the Roman soldiers came to get him and took him to what we would probably try to call a court. But guys, in reality, it was just not a true court. Now, what I call it is the mockery of the trial of Jesus. And I'll get there in just a second, but uh, why did it take place that way? Well, here's why. They wanted to silence him. They wanted to shut him up. They wanted him to quiet him because he was a threat. He was a threat to their society. He was a threat to their way of life. He was a, a threat to their money. He was a threat to their authority. So they wanted to do anything they could to close the mouth and the power of Christ, even if that meant a false accusation. Now, come on, all of us, have experienced at some time a false accusation. And we know what that is sort of like. Multiply that by a thousand, a million, and we're sort of close to the mockery of what Jesus went through as he went through this bogus trial. Probably one of the most bogus trials in the history of jurisprudence. Literally, a trial where they tried to take a sinless, guiltless man and find him guilty. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The mockery of the trial of Jesus. Here we go. Here's why it was such a mockery. Number one, there were no formal charges pressed against Christ. 
One minute he's guilty of one thing, the next minute he's guilty of something else. One minute he's guilty of blasphemy, the next minute he's guilty of speaking against the law of Moses. So they were going back and forth as to what really Jesus was truly guilty of. So there were, there were no formal charges against Christ. All they wanted to do was find a way to get him to court so that they could close his mouth. There were no formal charges filed against Christ. Number two, it was a private nighttime proceeding. Now, that's also against the law. That was against Jewish and Sanhedrin law. If you had a court charge or a court trial, it had to be done and completed before sundown. So why'd they do this? Well, they did this because they knew that there were some members of the Sanhedrin that were gonna side with Christ. They were gonna defend him. And so what they wanted to do was have a private nighttime proceeding so that those few people that might come to Jesus' benefit wouldn't know about it. So it was a private nighttime proceeding. Number three, it was concluded in one day. Again, bogus, guys. It's bogus. In Jewish law, what they did in a court proceeding was they had the first part of the case on one day, and that's when they pressed the charges. The second day, that's when they called the defense witnesses. Well, it was concluded in one day. So there were no defense witnesses allowed to come to Jesus and speak on his behalf. It was concluded in one day. Again, totally against Sanhedrin law. And number four, it was not even held in a courtroom. Now think about this. You're charged with a charge and you're arrested and it's time for you to go to court and they take you to court, but it's not in court. It's not where it's a ruling body is presiding over your case. They do it in the backyard or they do it in somebody's house. Here's where they did it with Jesus. They did it in a basement. That's the actual place where Jesus was tried. He wasn't tried in a courtroom. He wasn't tried the right way. They held his trial. You can see the stairs in the basement, trying to do everything they could to hide the true legitimate trial that should have taken place, but it didn't take place. So it was a bogus trial. That's where Jesus was actually tried and the case was actually held. So it wasn't held in a courtroom, guys. It was held in some place where they were kind of doing everything they could in secrecy to try to try Jesus of false charges. But Unfortunately, or fortunately on our behalf, it, it, uh, it just didn't go the way they planned. They ended up taking Jesus to court and they took him out in the courtyard, so to speak, to stand before Pontius Pilate, who stood there and did everything he could to take the pressure off of finding guilt in Jesus off of himself. I find no fault with this man. But ultimately, Jesus, as you know, was found guilty and sentenced to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus went to Calvary, which is what we're going to mainly talk about today. He went to the cross, gave his life freely, freely, no charges. He was innocent. He was guiltless, gave his life freely on Mount Calvary. So he died. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus die? Obviously, we know that there were no formal charges. So there was a bogus trial that took place. There were all these fake accusations against him. So you got to ask the question, why did all that take place? Did he die because he was upsetting the religious authority of the day? 
Did he try, did, I'm sorry, did he die or did he go to the cross because he was speaking against their form of life, their society? Did he try, die, die rather, again, I apologize, die because of his, his speaking of forgiveness or his spirit of love? Well, yes, he did. But he also died, guys, because he spoke like the Son of God. He lived like the Son of God. He declared like the Son of God. He gave like the Son of God. He died because he was the Son of God incarnate, coming to take away the sin of all of mankind so that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly. Come on, somebody, and say amen with me right where you are. Literally gave his life so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So they did everything they could to try to close his mouth. They did everything they could to try to silence the power of Christ. But he went to the cross and he died giving his life so that we could have the provision of the cross. Now, let me ask you, what does the cross provide for you and I? Because that's really what I want to look at today. We're looking at the road to Calvary, everything that Jesus went through in going to the cross and hanging there on the cross and giving his life freely so that we could have freedom in our lives. But other than that, what does the cross provide for you and I today? You know, uh, as I've looked at this over the past couple of weeks, I, I thought about that question a lot. And uh, I started making a list, started writing things down. What does the cross of Jesus Christ provide for me. And I started writing things down, and as you can only imagine, uh, the list cut, it got kind of exhaustive. It was, it was pretty long. So I thought to myself, you know, Pastor Ron, how are you gonna do that? How are you gonna cover everything the cross provides for me and for you in a very brief period of time? How am I gonna, how am I gonna cover that? I just don't have that kind of time. So I kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it, and really felt like the Lord took me to a scripture that when I show it to you, it's going to be a very familiar passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, literally says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Literally guys, those four lines encapsulate everything that probably was on my list. Probably everything that was on my list would fit under one of those four headings. But this verse does such an incredible job of kind of bringing everything together. He was wounded for my transgressions, crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that gives me peace that passes all understanding was upon him, and by his wounds, by his stripes, I'm made whole today. So what I wanna do for just a few minutes is break that down and encourage you with what the cross provides for you, what the cross brings into your life every day. Number one, he was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible says this, guys. The Bible says he bore sin in his own body. Literally beaten, bruised, uh, the crown of thorns placed on his head, stripes upon his back. He was wounded in his body, bore sin in his own body so that our transgressions, come on now, were wiped clean. Our slate is wiped clean today. Everything that is our past has been washed away. Here's how the Bible says it. The Bible says that all things are passed away. 
All things have been made new. I am a new creature. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ today. Why? He was wounded for those sins and those trespasses that we have committed and trespasses that we may still commit that we can ask for forgiveness of, and they too will be wiped away. See, here's what I want you to get. To view my past apart from the cross is to subject myself to deception because I'm visiting something that no longer exists. I'm looking at something that, that's just not there anymore. See, when I look at my life, guys, and I look at through the filter of the past, and I look at through the tunnel of what I've done, I'm visiting something that's really not real because that's not me anymore. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's not who I am. I literally have had those sins and trespasses wiped away, so I'm deceiving myself. And you know what the enemy wants to do? You know this, guys. The enemy wants to get us remembering who we were, what we did, what our past looked like, and we want to visit that. When I visit that and camp out there for a little bit, here's what I'm doing. I'm visiting something that really doesn't exist because that's not who I am anymore. Thank God for that. That's not me. I am a free individual because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times people will come into my office and we'll be talking and trying to provide ministry and encouragement. And I can tell sometimes in talking to some people, they're having a hard time letting go of those past failures. And sometimes their language will look like, well, you know, Pastor Ron, I just don't know if God will ever forgive me of that. I don't know if I could ever walk out from under that. I don't know if I can ever get that out of my life. It haunts me. It beats me up. It just really is, is hard. I don't know if Jesus will ever forgive me of, I did something so bad, I don't know if he could ever forgive me of that. And I'll say, well, have you asked for forgiveness of that? Yes. And then my question comes right here. Then why are you doing something that even God can't do? Because he can't remember it. Come on, somebody. He can't remember it. Bible says it's, it's wiped away, thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. And there are times I can say, God, you remember when I, and God says, I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that. What are you talking about? Why? Because he was wounded for my transgressions. And so when I go back and visit that past failure, literally what's going on is I'm visiting something that doesn't exist because he has made me and you free and free indeed. Come on, say amen to that. I thank God for what he's done in your life and my life. Number two, he was crushed for our iniquities. What is an iniquity? An iniquity is this, guys. An iniquity is an injustice. Now, when I think about that, I think of this. I have to ask you this question. Uh, ha have you ever had something done against you, spoken against you? Someone has uh, created a rumor about you. That's an injustice. Someone spoke against your character. That's an injustice. Someone committed fraud against you in some manner. That's an injustice. But Jesus literally was crushed so that every injustice, no matter what shape it takes or what it looks like, every injustice that could ever be done against us is gone because he literally was crushed and took the place for it so that I don't have to live under that guilt and condemnation. Now, that plays out a couple of different ways in your life and my life. First of all, injustices will come into your life through the attack of the enemy. The enemy, as you guys know, will, will lie about you. He is the father of lies. 
And the Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. So here's what Satan does, man. Satan will stand before God or go before God and say, hey, you know, you know that, that child of God that's yours that, that says he or she believes in you? Well, guess what? Guess what's going on in their life right now? Does that really look like a Christian? Does that really look like a child of God? Hey, look at Hyatt down there. Look at Ron Hyatt down there. He, he says he's a follower of you. He says he is a child of God, but look at what's going on in his life right now. Look what he's doing, the accuser of the brethren. And so that injustice that gets committed against you and I by the lie of the enemy, God says, no, 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 no. My child is not guilty, but I pronounce a guilty verdict against you, Satan, and I will protect my child and everything they stand for. So I am so thankful that that injustice is, is protected by God. Here's another way it plays out in your life and my life. Have you ever had anybody assault your character? Have you ever had anybody tell a lie about you? Have you anybody, ever had anybody speak against your integrity? Anybody ever come at you and spread a false rumor about you? That's an injustice. And so what happens is, and this is pretty normal for us to do, what happens a lot of times is we feel we have this responsibility right away, listen to me guys, to protect our reputation. And you know what? That, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I understand that. and I've done it myself sometimes. But the beautiful thing that because of this right here, I get this promise in my life. God's a whole lot better at protecting my reputation than I ever could be. I know that uh, someone will speak fraud against me or a lie against me or a falsehood against me, and I want to rise up and I want to protect my reputation. But look, he is my redeemer. He is my justice. He is my protector in every area of my life. So what I've got to understand is when the enemy or somebody wants to commit fraud against me, here's what happens. God Almighty stands at the Supreme Court bench of heaven and says that I, you, are not guilty because he was crushed for every one of those injustices. His justice, his justice is fiercely aimed at everything that tries to interfere with his love for me. What does that mean, Pastor Ron? Well, let me explain it to you. God, in his infinite love, in everything is about his character, which is made up of the love of God. He wants to pour his love out upon you. He continually wants to pour his love on you. And so coming from the throne of God is the love of God. And here's what happens. The enemy jumps in and tries to block it. He tries to block it because he doesn't want you experiencing the love of God. He wants you experiencing the condemnation of the enemy. So God is pouring out his wonderful love upon you. And the enemy tries to jump in and block it. But again, our God sits at the Supreme Court bench of heaven, a just God, and says, no, I will not let that blockage take place. I'll let the love of God flow from my throne room into my children so they can experience everything I want them to experience. Not condemnation, not fraud, not guilt, not getting beat up, but being free and experiencing his love that comes from the throne of God. So his justice, he stands there watching out on your behalf. His justice 
is fiercely aimed at everything that interferes with his love for me. Here's the third provision of the cross, the punishment that brought us peace, peace that passes all understanding. The punishment that brings me peace was upon him. You know what Jesus did, guys? You know this as well as I do. Jesus went through the punishment of turmoil. He went through the punishment of anxiety. He went through the punishment of hurt. He went through the punishment of pain. He went through the punishment of pressure so that you and I would experience peace. He took pressure, literally pressure, guys. Guys, we think we know pressure. Come on, somebody. Pressure literally so great that drops of blood came on his forehead. He took that kind of pressure so that you and I could experience peace and peace that passes all understanding. He took all that upon himself. He took the punishment of pressure so that you could live in peace. There's a scripture in John that I love, man. It says, my peace, this is Jesus speaking. He says, my peace, I leave with you. See, I, I can try to stir up my peace if I want. And I've done it. I'm going to walk in peace. I'm going to walk in peace. I really need peace right now. I'm going to walk in peace. Oh, I want some peace so bad, God. <laughs> and that's usually how it kind of ends up. I create more tension than I do peace. I can walk in my peace or I can walk in the peace of God. I can walk in Jesus' peace that he says, hey, I'm going to the right hand of the Father. The throne room of God is a pretty peaceful place, so I'm going to leave my peace with you. So I'm going to walk in the peace of God. Now, here, here's what peace is. Look at this. Peace is a sense of security and the awareness of a hopeful future. Now, watch this. It's a sense of security and an awareness of a hopeful future, even in the backdrop of whatever comes our way. No matter what comes our way. And guys, we're living in pressure-filled days. Come on. We're living in crazy days. I mean, culture and society is changing at the drop of a hat. And there are people that are getting the coronavirus, and we're looking at what's happening in the financial market of the world, and, and all kinds of questions are out there. So we're living in this backdrop of a crazy day, but here's what peace is. Peace in that crazy backdrop says, no, whatever's going on, I've got a sense of security. No, whatever's going on, I've got an awareness. Things aren't always going to be this way. I've got an awareness of a hope-filled future. That's what peace is. Now listen, peace doesn't ignore the storm. That's passivity. And peace and passivity are two different things. I can walk out and say, you know, that, this coronavirus, it's not real. You know, this financial market struggle, it's not real. No, that's being passive. That's ignoring something. It's ignoring it as if one day it will just kind of poof, go away. And that's passivity. Look, when Jesus was in the bottom of the boat and the storms were beating against the sides of the boat and he came up on that deck, he didn't look at those wind and waves all around him and say, you know what, disciples, just act like it's not there. It'll go away. Just act like it's not there. Just, just pretend <laughs> that it's not there. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus walked up on the deck of that boat, looked at the storm, the storm rather, and said, peace be still. He didn't ignore the storm. You don't have to ignore the storm. Storm's real, man. The storm's real. 
But I don't have to ignore it. I walk in the peace of God that says this. I have a sense of security and an awareness of even in the midst of our day, I've got a hope-filled future. You've got a hope-filled future. So he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brings me peace was upon him. And by his stripes, you are healed today in Jesus' name. You are healed today in Jesus' name. Listen, I know many people in our, in our house are dealing with illnesses and struggles. And, you know, we, we, we are finding out that there, there's this susceptibility to the coronavirus and people getting sick. And we know we have people in our house that are dealing major in, uh, uh, illnesses and infirmities. But look, guys, the scripture is true. By his stripes, you are healed in Jesus' name. And you know what? I, 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 get, I get the side of it. I get the side of it that says, yeah, you know what, Pastor Ron, I, I, I believe that scripture. I agree with that scripture, but I'm not healed yet. I've been dealing with this illness for a long time. And I, I, just, I just wonder, if I can say it this way, I just wonder, is God ever going to heal me? Am I really going to experience the heal of, healing of God? You know, that's a legitimate question, guys. That's not a, a faithless question. That's a legitimate question. Am I ever going to be healed? Well, let me encourage you with this. It is inconsistent to have Jesus pay a price for healing and for us to believe that it's not God's intention to heal. It's just inconsistent, man. And there's one thing that God always is, is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So right now in Jesus' name, right where you are, if you're dealing with illness in your body, I want you to raise your hands right now. and I'm going to speak and declare healing and wholeness over your body right now in Jesus' name. If there's illness, if there's infirmity in your body, and by his stripes, you are healed. Right where you are, I'm declaring the healing of God over your body and for you to be made heal, healed, rather, whole and well in Jesus' name. So he was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The punishment that brings me peace today was upon him, not me, and by his stripes I am healed. That is the provision of the cross. Now again, everything that you and I could ever come up with is going to come under one of those four categories. So you're covered by the work of the atoning power of the cross of Jesus. Let me ask you a question as I wrap up here. Where was Jesus crucified? Now, we've been talking a lot about the road to Calvary, and we all know by typical definition that Jesus hung on a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary. But really, the place that Jesus died was called Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's really the technical name for the place where Jesus hung on a cross. Now, why is it called the place of the skull? Well, a lot of times history has told us that it's called the place of the skull because it looks like a skull, doesn't it? Kind of looks like a skull. You know, you can look real close and almost, almost see facial features. And so over time through history, we've said, well, it looks like a skull, so that must be how it's got its name, the place of the skull. Well, that's not accurate. The way it got the name, the place of the skull, was this. Go back in history with me a lot of years. A, a man named David, a type of Christ, killed a giant by the name of Goliath, a Philistine giant. 
and he cut his head off. And he took that head to a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem and he buried that head in that hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And when he buried that head on that hill, he said, there will never again be another enemy that will ever defeat God's people. Never again will any enemy come against God's people and have success. Now go forward with me a number of years and have Jesus hanging on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth in the exact same place, hanging on that cross. And here's what he said, it is finished. Come on, somebody. In other words, there will never again come another enemy that will ever come against or defeat the people of God. So today I know that as Jesus hung on that cross, I've got victory. You've got victory. So any foe that could ever come against you, it's going to be defeated because it is finished. The work that you have needed, the work you are in need of, and the work that you may one day need has been provided by the work of the cross and the power of God's love through Jesus Christ. Right where you are, bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your cross today. I thank you for the redeeming power of Jesus. That I know that we literally could talk about so many things and we could address so many things that the cross provides, but I thank you today, Lord, that you were wounded for my sin and my trespasses. You are bruised so that if there's ever an injustice done against me, you are my protector. Everything that could ever try to bring turmoil in my life, you took it upon himself, yourself rather, and you were punished so that I would have Jesus' peace. And we're healed and whole today in the name of the Lord. And Father, if there's anybody watching today that needs the provision of the cross, if you're watching today, I want you to just repeat this after me. Father, I come to you. And I ask you right now, I make a declaration that I need the work, the cross of Jesus Christ in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Right where you are, I want you to say, I want you to become my Savior, and I want you to become my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Let me experience the provision of the cross. Let me experience the cleaning of that slate. Make me new in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you that there are those that have prayed that prayer. You are coming into their life. You're making them new. You're changing their life. You're doing a work that has been provided by the cross of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.